may not realize this. This is a total, it's an unintentional, this is the end of a three-week series. And you're like, wait a minute, I, I missed that. No, you didn't, totally. All right, so two weeks ago, get your purple sheets out. Two weeks ago, Pastor Derek House was here. And I had no, I told him, preach what you want to preach on. He preached on this John 9 passage. And you notice I have in yellow, it's where Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud with saliva. Puts it on a blind man's eyes, tells him to go wash, and he's healed. All right? That was two weeks ago, Derek House Lighthouse Church. Last week, Pastor Kevin Wilson, who's a uh, pastor planting a church in Evansville, had no knowledge of what Derek spoke, Derek spoke on. His passage the next, last week was the Mark 7 passage where Jesus spit and then touched the man's tongue with the spit. So I thought that was interesting. And so and it was a healing passage. You know, he took this, it was a, a man who was deaf, couldn't talk. If you remember, if you were here last week, you remember Kevin said, you know, Jesus, what just said, Jesus put his fingers in the guy's ears, then he spit, put his finger on the tongue. And so after last week, I thought, I've never really thought about, well, why is Jesus spitting? And I thought, does he spit anywhere else? And he does. There's one more time. That's where we're looking at today. It's Mark chapter 8. He spits one other time. And it's one of those things where uh, it's always good to be curious about scriptures. So I got curious, and I thought, why, why is he spitting? What's, what's going on here? Like, there's three times where Jesus spits as part of healing, and what's the point? Is he just trying to be gross? I mean, is, is, he, is there something magical about his saliva? What? So a uh, couple things, in case you don't know, about your saliva, all right? You produce enough saliva in a year to fill two bathtubs. All right. Um, the watery liquid by your, in your saliva contains natural painkillers. Uh, it's a painkiller six times more powerful than morphine. Uh, also, uh, scientists can reveal within five years how old you are based on your, uh, the chemical makeup of your saliva. Just thought I'd point those out to you. All right. So uh, here's the passage today. I'm going to read the Mark 8 passage, and then we're going to talk about, okay, what? What's going on here? And again, one of the things you all, we always have to ask in Scripture, right? Whenever you, when, one of the primary principles of, of interpreting the Bible is, what did the original hearers, those who were watching this happen, or when Mark wrote Mark and he was, they were reading it, what, were, what was their reaction to what was happening? Because we have to understand what, did, what was Mark trying to say to them then so we can understand what God's saying to us now. So, we might have our own cultural reactions today, but we have to ask the question, what did the original uh, eyewitnesses understand was going on, and what did the original hearers or readers understand was trying to be said? You know, that's always the first question of Bible interpretation, is what did the original listeners, hearers, and eyewitnesses, what, was their, what would have been their take on it based on their understanding of their culture, all right? So let's read the passage. It's Mark chapter 8. So this is, a, this is just the next chapter after the one that Kevin talked about last week. Again, I had no idea those guys were talking about spit passages, so I just... So uh, Mark, 20, Mark 8, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. This next line, if you read, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? All right, when he had spit on the man's eyes means he spit on the man's eyes. And it's, again, one of those things where it's like, 
Allison, what's the term you use? Slow reading? Close reading. She talked about, she said last week, Pastor Kevin was talking, she said that's close reading of the Bible. It's a term she learned at school, which means, okay, let's read it and kind of slow it down, kind of like Kevin was saying last week. And if you slow this one down, okay, Jesus spit on the man's eyes. You're his disciples and you're, what's your reaction? Does it seem normal to you? He spits on the man's eyes, puts his hands on him. Do you see anything? The man looked up, said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So, not quite a healed. This is the only healing in the Bible where it took two stages for Jesus. And so, again, we have to ask the question, what's going on here? Right. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. So, the first time he spit, touched the man, put his hands on him. Now, he just puts his hands on him. Then his eyes were opened. His sight were restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So Jesus was, he always would tell me, don't, don't go tell people. That's in a whole other sermon. But, so Jesus spits in the man's eyes. Man can see people walking around like trees. And then he takes him again. He touches him. And then the man can see. So again, the question is, what's going on here? What's, wh- why? Why? So a couple things. Uh, I actually looked this week and was trying to figure out what's, what's the ancient culture's mentality about spit. Okay, you have to figure out how does this help us out. So in the ancient world, uh, Greek, Persian, Jewish, from the 6th century to the time of Jesus, here's some of the general things that were thought about spitting. Again, this might help understand what was the original hearers and the eyewitnesses, what do they think was happening, right? Spitting in public was considered impolite, just like today. Uh, spitting in someone's face is a sign of rejection. Spitting was often seen as superstitious, uh, it could ward off evil spirits. Sometimes it could bring good luck. Um, spitting could help healing since the gods would be won over or they'd be appeased by spitting. This was just, again, some of the ancient writings. Um, there was a Roman writer, not a Christian. His name was Pliny the Elder. And he believed that spitting could help in certain skin diseases, epilepsy, neck pain, numbness in your arms and legs. Um, if you had neck problems, you put the spit on your knees. I don't know why. If you had a numb limb, you put the spit on the eyelids or your stomach. Um, your morning spit was considered uh, more healing. They called it fasting spit. So um, it needs to be applied over a long So there was a sense that maybe there was a healing quality in spit. But again, that's just the time of that ancient cultures. All right. Now, let's go to the Old Testament. What are the Old Testament? How, what, do we think, what is the Bible times saying about spitting? Well, uh, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25, if, 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 uh, if a man died, uh, his brother was supposed to marry his widow. All right? If the brother didn't want to marry his widow, this is what Deuteronomy 25 says. She's supposed to go up to the brother who won't marry her, take off one of his sandals, and then spit in his face. So Deuteronomy 25, this is what is under the man who will not build up his brother's family line. So Deuteronomy 25, spitting in the face was a sign of kind of disgust and rejection. In the book of Numbers, Jesus talks about, or Moses talks about spitting at somebody's face. Rejection, all right? Job, when he was going through suffering, he was referred to himself, I'm a man who, people, who, who, whose face people will spit in. In other words, I'm disgraced. And then, 
in Isaiah, it talks about the Messiah to come who was mocked and spit upon. So in the Old Testament culture world, spitting was never seen as anything positive or healing. And it really wasn't seen as healing at all in the day of Jesus. It was seen as, and I think I have the next slide up here. Go to the next slide. It was seen as uh, offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. So to spit at someone, let alone on someone, was offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. So there was no other source in the Jewish world of, of, of the writings we have that saw as any kind of sign of healing. So some would say, some first would say, well, Jesus was doing that because people thought spit healed. But if, if it wasn't his spit that was healing, it was his touch that was healing, he's not going to play into superstition. He's not going to play into the cultural uh, perceptions of magic. And he's not even mocking you, but what's, the, what's he doing then? So, um, so now let's, uh, so again, we're trying to figure out why is he spitting? What's, he, what's that, what, not just why is he spitting, but what does that say to us on August 8th? 2021 about following Jesus, like Jesus spits in a man's, right in his face to heal his blindness, but it takes two stages, right? So let's talk about the gospel of Mark. So leave this up there, because let's just leave, leave, leave this up there, because again, let's just understand that what he did, if you would have been one of the disciples standing around, your reaction would have been, of course, they probably, they, Mark 7 came before this, so they probably saw Jesus spit before with a deaf man that Kevin talked about last week, but still offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. All right, say those three words with me. Ready? Here you go. Offensive, shocking, disgraceful. One more time. Offensive, shocking, disgraceful. That's what. That's what their. Is it close reading? Is that what you said? <laughs> if you read close, slow it down, and try to figure out what's going on with the audience, those people who are watching. And as Mark wrote this gospel, and people that were reading would have thought, wow, that's kind of offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. He spit in the guy's face. But let's look at the gospel of Mark. Mark, when he wrote his gospel, Mark wrote the gospel of Mark probably 35 years or so after Jesus' death. He also wrote the gospel of Mark after Peter and Paul likely had both been martyred. All right? So he was writing in a context where people knew martyrdom and that following Jesus was going to be a really hard thing. And Mark is also known for very offensive and vivid details in his stories. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, he often includes details that are very vivid and sometimes offensive, so you really get a picture of what's going on. Like the fact that he mentioned spitting, right? Um, his purpose of the Gospel of Mark was, again, he was writing to people who were aware that Peter had been killed, Paul had been killed, uh, Nero was starting a persecution in Rome. So Mark's communicating to people the stories of Jesus, but he's communicating to people who are living in a state of kind of uncertainty, like what does it mean to follow Jesus and why is Paul dead and Peter dead and Nero's persecuting Christians? So you have to understand everything in the Gospel of Mark has to be in the context of that, all right? So, and we know that spit isn't what healed this man. It was the touch of Jesus that healed the man. So, this whole idea of offensive, shocking, and disgraceful, and again, this is written to people, let's just say, you know, that if we were those people, and we knew some Christians who were around us were being killed, and uh, because they followed Jesus, um, what's he trying to communicate with what he's writing here, right? So, the way we have to understand it then, is we have to finish the book of Mark, so again, this, 
let me say this too. The disciples, and you might remember this, they, they really had no idea what Jesus was all about yet. They thought he was, they knew he was the Messiah. Go to the next phrase. This is, go to the next slide. Because this is the very next, one of the next things that happens next. Jesus says, so he heals, spits, two-stage healing. And then he this I'm, I'm, I cut it out, edit it a little bit. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. So they knew he was the Messiah. But their perception of the Messiah was, boy, if he's the Messiah and we're his followers, we get the right hand and left hand thrones, we get honor, we get glory, we get esteem, because we're next to the Messiah. So keep in mind, that was their understanding of, they trusted Jesus, they were, they were as trusting and following as much as they understood, but if them thinking he was the Messiah, they thought it was going to be the way of honor, glory, and esteem among, among the world. All right, so that was their perception about what it meant. So Jesus knew that, and he, so they affirmed that. So ne- go to the next slide. This is just continuing Mark. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and after three days rise again. All right, you know what he's saying? The Son of Man is going to be killed in a way that's offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. All right? What happened right after Jesus said this? Remember what happened in the, in the interactions? Peter did something. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Like, no, no, this isn't going to happen to you. That's offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. That's not what happens to the Messiah. And what does Jesus do? He says to Peter... Get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus says, no, this is, this is what it means. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die an offensive, shocking, and disgraceful death. And then he goes on to add this. This is, again, Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to, who wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So when he says whoever wants to save their life, you could paraphrase that. Whoever, whoever wants their life to be inoffensive, not shocking, and not disgraceful, if that's the kind of Christianity you want, Jesus is saying you're going to lose your life. Not, not physical life. You're, gonna, you're not going to be spiritually alive anymore. If you're looking for that kind of Messiah that will lead you into a life that's going to be non-offensive, no shocking, no surprises, not disgraceful, I'm going to be honored, the world's going to kind of clap us, clap at us and say, well, you Christians are going to agree. It just says it's not going to happen. So this sense of uh, when Jesus was doing this healing, you know, he spit on him and, and it most, when I read most commentators, just my own, when you think about the whole gospel, it was, a, it was a picture Jesus was giving to the disciples. Like, Jesus could have healed the guy just by doing some abracadabra, cool thing, like be healed. I mean, he'd heal people that way, but he does something shocking, offensive, and disgraceful that doesn't heal the guy, or partially heals him, and then he touches the man and he's healed. So there's almost like this, not almost, it is this two-stage and then you begin to wonder, was he trying to tell the disciples, you're still at this place 
where you're offended by the shocking and disgraceful and offensive kind of things that I'm talking about was going to happen to me. But sooner or later, you will see. You, you, you have to go through this. You have to understand. Jesus said, you have to understand my death is going to be offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. And if that's what my death is, so was Paul's death when he was killed and Peter's death when he was killed. And again, this is in a culture of people who, are, who had martyrdom and people, Christians being killed and persecuted all around them. So it was a sense that maybe Mark is saying, maybe we have to embrace that following Jesus involves elements of being offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. And you might say, well, that's not really, you know, what I signed up for, you know, so go to this next slide here for a second. Offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. Now, if that's all there is to Christianity, let's turn off the lights and go home now, right? Because if all it is is, oh, we're going to have this offensive, shocking, and disgraceful existence, whoopee, why do I want to do that, all right? Now go back again to the other one, sorry, John, go back. But this is what he says. He says, if you want to save it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, if you let go of this, this mythical dream that your life following Jesus will not be shocking, will not be offensive, and not be disgraceful, if you can let go of that, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna find your life. And Jesus is not talking about simply talking about heaven after we die. The disciples, when they heard him say this, they weren't thinking, oh, he's telling us how to go to heaven after we die. He's talking about if you want to live, a, if you want to understand life to the fullest and have the fullness of the, the joy and the peace of Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you want to live in such a way that difficulties and persecutions around you don't rattle you, but you have this strength of soul, you've got to give up the expectation that your life following Jesus should be not offensive, not shocking, and not disgraceful. But if you do that, you're going to find a kind of life the Bible describes later as full of the life and power that comes from God. You have to make, we have to, I have to make a choice. And again, it's not that we try to figure out ways that we can be disgraced by the world or shocked by, the, you know. But uh, get the sense that that's what Jesus was really trying to communicate to the disciples. Because they, had, they, they, were looking at, they were looking at following Jesus with, I guess I'll call it rose-colored glasses. So this, this, these spitting things, of course Jesus isn't trying to mimic what the Romans thought spit would do. or He's not, try, he's not rejecting the blind man. He's not, you know, he's not, he's not trying to be dis disrespectful to this person. He's showing something to the disciples, us, that if we really want to see... We really want to see. We really want to understand and see and be alive and have the passion and the joy that Jesus can, that the Holy Spirit can pour into us as human beings living on this earth again. Not just heaven after we die, but now, then we have to let go of those expectations that life's going to be a uh, rose-colored glasses, yellow brick road, everything goes well. I, I remember I... I was in a situation one time where somebody was sharing their testimony. I won't say when or where, but it was just the guy was saying, you know, when I was a kid, I always, always wanted to be a fireman, have a red pickup truck with a beautiful wife and a dog in the back of the truck. The wife would be sitting next to him, I think, but anyway. And then he said, so I, and then I decided to follow Jesus, and what happened? I got, I'm a fireman, I have a red pickup truck, I have a beautiful wife, and my dog's in the back. And I thought, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not... I, I'm going to have the American dream. 
And Jesus shatters that with the disciples. They, they thought the gospel was the, the uh, you know, I'll say make Israel great again. Mega, not MAGA, Mega, make Israel great. They thought that was the dream. Make, make Israel great again, and if Israel's great and we're next to you, Jesus, we're going to be we're going to have our red pickup trucks with dogs in the back and have a beautiful wife. That's what life's all about, right? And Jesus, with this two-stage spitting healing and the other spitting, he's, he's, I think he's showing them, he's showing us, if that's your perception, if your Christian perception is all these great and glorious things without the offensiveness, because Jesus said his cross would be offensive to people, without the shock that sometimes comes with following Jesus, and without at times being disgraced by the world. The, the Bible tells us the world is not going to honor us because we follow Jesus. They're honorous if we're good people. But you throw Jesus into the conversation and all of a sudden things get a little uncomfortable. Right? So, uh, I don't, we don't live in a time of persecution. Um, maybe that might be coming. We don't know. I mean, we have no idea. Um, Parts of the world now, people who follow Jesus are persecuted, and they, they understand that following Jesus is offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. It leads them through those dark valleys. And we haven't had to experience that. Maybe we will someday. Who knows? Things, I mean, the pandemic has showed us how things can change overnight, you know, shift around. But maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, maybe, maybe things at your work, maybe the way people treat you when they find out you're a Christian, and you're, I don't know. But following Jesus um, means there's a really good possibility you'll walk through things where you become to other people, like Jesus' death was, offensive, shocking, and disgraceful. But it will lead to life, capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. Not simply heaven after you die. Again, the disciples, when they heard Jesus say this, they didn't turn to each other and say, oh, he's telling us how to get heaven after we died. They're saying he's talking about something a different quality of life now even when you read the word eternal life in the bible the original hearers would not have thought simply oh heaven after we die eternal life the word eternal you almost phrase eternal life as a life of the ages because jesus said i came to give you a life of the ages a life where you live larger than the world you know you have, a, you have a perspective that is bigger, deeper, stronger, and wider than the reality of this physical world. So when Jesus said, I came to give eternal life, people didn't think, oh, good, we'll just hold on to our heaven ticket, and when we die, we'll go to heaven. They were, they were understanding him saying, no, you're going to have a quality of life now that will continue after you die, of course. You're going to have a quality of life now that will exceed the physical realities of this life. And you will be Im- immovable you will, be, uh, you will have a perspective on it. Pain and difficulty will be part of your life, but it will not knock you off. You may even be persecuted, but it will not shut you down. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want that, I want that soul. If I can go buy that, I'll buy that soul. Give me that soul. So uh, I'll finish with this. We'll read this. I'm going to read this again. Actually, read this out loud with me, all right, this, this passage. Because, again, I think this is kind of Jesus... The spitting, uh, the spitting situation we talked about in 8, I think it was a, a, Mark 8, was a picture of this. So read this out loud with me, all right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? All right? 
we finish every Sunday at Exodus with communion, and uh, I was reminded when I was even reading and studying this week that what's one of the things the soldiers did to Jesus when they were torturing him? They were spitting on him. Obviously, can, can you sign, I mean, shocking, disgraceful, offensive. Peter was in the crowd watching. Some of the disciples would have seen this, and they were just knocked over backwards because this was not the Messiah they thought. And it actually killed their dreams because they thought, oh, that's it. But then when the resurrection happened, they're like, oh, now we see. It was shocking, offensive, and disgraceful, but now we see. Now we see. Now we understand that we have this supernatural reality. The spirit of Bible tells us that the death of Jesus and his resurrection, Jesus actually said to the disciples, you're now going to have my spirit in you. After his resurrection, he changed from his spirit with you to his spirit in you. And uh, the only pathway to that is through the shocking, offensive, disgraceful cross. Right? It's the only pathway. So when we take this, and uh, Aaron's going to come up and lead us in one more song. And uh, when we take communion, like today, when he says, do this in remembrance of me. There's a lot of things we can remember. We can remember all kinds of things about Jesus. And every time we do communion, I try to suggest something. Maybe this week. Maybe just remember that the way of Jesus will take you through shocking, offensive, and disgraceful uh, realities at times. Always, 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 though, leading you to life. Always. Always. But if you reject that, if you don't want to go down that path, you may never get to life. I always, I always say to people, we kind of want to skip the cross and go straight to the resurrected tomb. We can't do that. You have to go through the cross to get to the, the power of the resurrection. So I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's... Uh, who knows what's going to happen in any of our lives in the next weeks, months, or years to come. But uh, embrace um, the way of Jesus. Embrace all of the way of Jesus, including the offensive, shocking, and disgraceful parts. Because you will find life. You will find it in a way that you'll never imagine. And I would find it in a way that I'll never imagine. So here's how we do it. Exodus, come on. As soon as Aaron starts leading us and singing, we'll come up for communion. Um, I know I ordered grape juice this week on Amazon, but it hasn't come in yet. So we're still going to use these, which is probably good anyway. So we have the, the, the two-stage communions, all right? Rip off the cellophane. So uh, come on up as we start singing. Uh, in this case, you probably have to take it back there so you can rip it off and drink it. But maybe as you take it, and Jesus says, remember, remember his way is uh, offensive, shocking, and disgraceful at times, all right? So Jesus, we're grateful that you... Uh, we're grateful you're honest with us. You're honest with your disciples. You didn't, you didn't paint a picture that, wasn't, that was kind of rosy. You painted a picture of the reality of what it meant to follow you and a reality of what it meant to find true life and full life with God. We're grateful that you speak the truth to us all the time. But we're even more grateful that you wrote, went down that road. Oh, you went down that road and uh, um, you came out. Uh, life and full of life. And we uh, we're grateful for you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.